Section thirteen, chapter twelve of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Section thirteen, chapter twelve. The Macaw. The baronet determined the next day upon the grand attack. He waited upon Miss Portman with the certainty of being favourably received, but he was nevertheless somewhat embarrassed to know how to begin the conversation when he found himself alone with the lady. He twirled and twisted a short stick that he held in his hand, and put it into and out of his boot twenty times, and at last he began with, "'Lady Delacour's not gone to Harrogate yet?' "'No. Her ladyship has not yet felt herself well enough to undertake the journey.' "'That was a cursed and lucky overturn.' "'She may thank Clarence Hervey for that. It's like him. He thinks he's a better judge of horses and wine and everything else than anybody in the world. Damn now, if I don't believe that he thinks nobody else but himself has eyes enough to see that a fine woman's a fine woman. But I'd have him know that Miss Belinda Portman has been Sir Philip Badley's toast these two months.' As this intelligence did not seem to make the expected impression upon Miss Belinda Portman— Sir Philip had recourse again to his little stick, with which he went through the sword exercise. After a silence of some minutes, and after walking to the window and back again, as if to look for sense, he exclaimed, "'How is Mrs. Stanhope now, pray, Miss Portman? And your sister, Mrs. Tolomac? She was the finest woman, I thought the first winter she came out, that ever I saw. Damn! Have you ever been told that you're like her?' "'Never, sir.' "'Oh, damn it, then! But you are only ten times handsomer.' Ten times handsomer than the finest woman you ever saw, Sir Philip,' said Belinda, smiling. "'Then the finest woman I had ever seen then,' said Sir Philip, "'for, damn, I, I did not know what it was to be in love then.' Here the baronet heaved an audible sigh. "'I always laughed at love and all that then, and marriage particularly.' I'll trouble you for Mrs. Stanhope's direction, Miss Portman. I believe to do the thing in style, I ought to write to her before I speak to you. Belinda looked at him with astonishment, and laying down the pencil with which she had just begun to write a direction to Mrs. Stanhope, she said, Perhaps, Sir Philip, to do the thing in style, I ought to pretend at this instant not to understand you, but such false delicacy might mislead you. Permit me, therefore, to say that if I have any concern in the letter which you are going to write to my aunt Stanhope. "'Well guessed,' interrupted Sir Philip. "'To be sure you have, and you're a charming girl, damn me if you aren't, for meeting my ideas in this way, which will save a cursed deal of trouble,' added the polite lover, seating himself on the sofa beside Belinda. "'To prevent your giving yourself any further trouble, then, sir, on my account,' said Miss Portman, "'Nay, damn, don't catch at that unlucky word. Trouble. Nor look so cursed angry, though it becomes you. Too uncommonly. And I like pride in a handsome woman, if it was only for variety's sake, for it's not what one meets with often nowadays. As to trouble, all I meant was the trouble of writing to Mrs. Stanhope, which, of course, I thank you for saving me. For, to be sure, I'd rather, and you can't blame me for that, have my answer from your own charming lips.' if it was only for the pleasure of seeing you blush in this heavenly sort of style. "'To put an end to this heavenly sort of style, sir,' said Belinda, 
withdrawing her hand, which the baronet took as if he was confident of its being his willing prize. "'I must explicitly assure you that it is not in my power to encourage your address. I am fully sensible,' added Miss Portman, "'of the honour Sir Philip Baddeley has done me, and I hope he will not be offended by the frankness of my answer.' "'You can't be in earnest, Miss Portman,' exclaimed the astonished baronet. "'Perfectly in earnest, Sir Philip.' "'Confusion seize me!' cried he, starting up. "'If this isn't the most extraordinary thing I ever heard! Will you do me the honour, madam, to let me know your particular objections to Sir Philip Baddeley?' "'My objections,' said Belinda, "'cannot be obviated, and therefore it would be useless to state them.' Nay, pray, ma'am, do me the favour. I only ask for information's sake.' Is it to Sir Philip Baddeley's fortune, fifteen thousand and one a year, you object to, or to his family, or to his person? Oh, curse it, said he, changing his tone. You're only quizzing me to see how I should look. Damn me, you did it too well, you little coquette. Belinda again assured him that she was entirely in earnest, and that she was incapable of the sort of coquetry which he ascribed to her. Oh, damn, ma'am, then I've no more to say. A coquette is a thing I understand as well as another. If we had been only talking in the air, it would have been another thing, but when I come at once to a proposal in form and a woman seriously tells me she has objections that cannot be obviated, damn, what must I, or what must the world conclude but that she's very unaccountable, or that she's engaged, which last I presume to be the case, and it would have been a satisfaction to me to have known it sooner. At any rate, it is a satisfaction to me to know it now. "'I am sorry to deprive you of so much satisfaction,' said Miss Portman, "'by assuring you that I am not engaged to any one.' Here the conversation was interrupted by the entrance of Lord Delacour, who came to inquire of Miss Portman how his lady did. The baronet, after twisting his little black stick into all manner of shapes, finished by breaking it, and then having no other resource, suddenly wished Miss Portman a good morning, and decamped with a look of silly ill-humour. He was determined to write to Mrs. Stanhope, whose influence over her niece he had no doubt would be decisive in his favour. "'Sir Philip seems to be a little out of sorts this morning,' said Lord Delacour. "'I am afraid he's angry with me for interrupting his conversation, but really I did not know he was here, and I wanted to catch you a moment alone, that I might in the first place thank you for all your goodness to Lady Delacour. She has had a tedious sprain of it. These nervous fevers and convulsions, I don't understand them.' but I think Dr. X's prescriptions seem to have done her good, for she is certainly better of late, and I am glad to hear music and people again in the house, because I know all this is what my Lady Delacour likes, and there is no reasonable indulgence that I would not willingly allow a wife, but I think there is a medium in all things. I am not a man to be governed by a wife, and when I have once said a thing I like to be steady and always shall, and I am sure Miss Portman has too much good sense to think me wrong for now. Miss Portman, in that quarrel about the coach and horses, which you heard part of one morning, at breakfast, I must tell you the beginning of that quarrel. Excuse me, my lord, but I would rather hear of the end than of the beginning of quarrels. That shows your good sense as well as your good nature. I wish you could make my Lady Delacour of your taste. She does not want sense, but then I speak to you freely of all that lies upon my mind, Miss Portman, for I know, I know— you have no delight in making mischief in a house. Between you and me, her sense is not of the right kind. A woman may have too much wit. Now too much is as bad as too little, 
and in a woman worse, and when two people come to quarrel, then wit on either side, but more especially on the wife's, you know, is very provoking. "'Tis like concealed weapons, which are wisely forbidden by law. "'If a person kill another in a fray with a concealed weapon, ma'am, "'by a sword and a cane, for instance, tis murder by the law. "'Now, even if it were not contrary to law, "'I would never have such a thing in my cane to carry about with me. "'For when a man's in the passion, he forgets everything, "'and would as soon lay about him with a sword as with a cane. "'So it is better such a thing should not be in his power. "'And it is the same with wit.' which would be safest and best out of the power of some people. But is it fair, my lord, to make use of wit yourself to abuse wit in others? said Belinda with a smile, which put his lordship into perfect good humour with both himself and his lady. Why, really, said he, there would be no living with Lady Delacour if I did not come out with a little sly bit for wit now and then, but it is what I am not in the habit of doing, I assure you. Except when very hard pushed. But, Miss Portman, as you like so much to hear the end of quarrels, here's the end of one which you have a particular right to hear something of, continued his lordship, taking out his pocket-book and producing some bank-notes. You should have received this before, madam, if I had known of the transaction sooner, of your part of it, I mean. My lord, the man called to speak about de Burgundy you order, my lord, said Chamfort, who came into the room with a sly and inquisitive face. "'Tell him I'll see him immediately. "'Show him into the parlour, and give him a newspaper to read.' "'Yes, my lord. "'My lord has it in his pocket since he dressed.' "'Here it is,' said his lordship, "'and as Chamfort came forward to receive the newspaper, "'his eye glanced at the bank-notes, and then at Miss Portman. "'Here,' continued Lord Delacour, as Chamfort had left the room, "'here are your two hundred guineas, Miss Portman, "'and as I am going to this man about my burgundy, "'and shall be out all the rest of the day, "'let me trouble you the next time you see Lady Delacour "'to give her this pocket-book from me. "'I should be sorry that Miss Portman, from anything that has passed, "'should run away with the idea that I am a niggardly husband, "'or a tyrant, though I certainly like to be master in my own house. "'What are you doing, madam? "'That is your note. "'That does not go into the pocket-book, you know.' "'Permit me to put it in, my lord.' said Belinda, returning the pocket-book to him, and to beg you will give Lady Delacour the pleasure of seeing you. She has inquired several times whether your lordship were at home. I will run up to her dressing-room and tell her that you are here. "'How lightly she goes on the wings of good nature,' said Lord Delacour. "'I can do no less than follow her. For though I like to be treated with respect in my own house, there is a time for everything. I would not give Lady Delacour the trouble of coming down here to me with her sprained ankle, especially as she has inquired for me several times. His lordship's visit was not of unseasonable length, for he recollected that the man who came about the burgundy was waiting for him. But perhaps the shortness of the visit rendered it the more pleasing, for Lady Delacour afterwards said to Belinda, "'My dear, would you believe it, my Lord Delacour was absolutely a perfect example of the useful and agreeable this morning?' who knows but he may become the sublime and beautiful in time and it in not here are your two hundred guineas my dear belinda a thousand thanks for the thing and a million for the manor manor is all in all conferring favours my lord who to do him justice has too much honesty to pretend to more delicacy than he really possesses told me that he had been taking a lesson from miss portman this morning in the art of obliging and really for a grown gentleman and for the first lesson he comes on surprisingly I do think that by the time he is a widower, his lordship will be quite another thing, quite an agreeable man, not a genius, not a Clarence Hervey, that you cannot expect. A propos, what is the reason that we have seen so little of Clarence Hervey lately? 
he has certainly some secret attraction elsewhere it cannot be that girl sir philip mentioned no she's nothing new can it be at lady anne percival's or where can it be whenever he sees me i think he asks when we go to harrogate now oakley park is within a few miles of harrogate i will not go there that's decided lady anne is an exemplary matron so she is out of the case but i hope she has no sister excellence no niece no cousin to entangle our hero ours said belinda well yours then said lady delacour mine yes yours i never in my life saw a better struggle between a sigh and a smile but what have you done to poor sir philip badly my lord delacour told me you know all people who have nothing else to say tell news quicker than others my lord delacour told me that he saw sir philip part from you this morning in a terrible bad humour come whilst you tell your story help me to string these pearls that will save you from the necessity of looking at me and will conceal your blushes you need not be afraid of betraying sir philip's secrets for i could have told you long ago that he would inevitably propose for you the fact is nothing new or surprising to me but i should really like to hear how ridiculous the man made himself and that said belinda is the only thing which i do not wish to tell your ladyship lord my dear surely it is no secret that sir philip badley is ridiculous but you are so good-natured that i can't be out of humour with you if you won't gratify my curiosity will you gratify my taste and sing for me once more that charming song which none but you can sing to please me i must learn it from you absolutely just as belinda was beginning to sing mariette's macaw began to scream so that lady delacour could not hear anything else oh that odious macaw cried her ladyship i can endure it no longer and she rang her bell violently it kept me from sleeping all last night mariette must give up this bird mariette i cannot endure that macaw you must part with it for my sake mariette it cost you four guineas i am sure i would give five with the greatest pleasure to get rid of it for it is the torment of my life dear my lady i can assure you it is only because they will not shut the doors after them below as i desire i am certain mr chamfort never shut a door after him in his life nor never will he if he was to live to the days of methuselah that is very little satisfaction to me mariette said lady delacour and indeed my lady it is very little satisfaction to me to hear my macaw abused as it is every day of my life for mr chamfort's fault but it cannot be chamfort's fault that i have ears but if the doors were shut my lady you wouldn't or couldn't hear as i'll prove immediately said mariette as she ran directly and shut according to her own account eleven doors which were stark staring wide open now my lady you can't hear a single syllable of the macaw no but one of the eleven doors will open presently said lady delacour you will observe it is always more than ten to one against me a door opened and the macaw was heard to scream the macaw must go mariette that is certain said her ladyship firmly then i must go my lady said mariette angrily that is certain for to part with my macaw is a thing i cannot do to please anybody her eyes turned with indignation upon belinda from association merely because the last time that she had been angry about her macaw she had also been angry with miss portman whom she imagined to be the secret enemy of her favourite to stay another week in the house after my macaws discarded in disgrace is a thing nothing shall prevail upon me to do she flung out of the room in a fury good heavens am i reduced to this said lady delacour 
she thinks that she is me in her power no i can die without her i have but a short time to live i will not live a slave let the woman betray me if she will follow her this moment my dear generous friend tell her never to come into this room again take this pocket-book pay her whatever is due to her in the first place and give her fifty guineas observe not as a bribe but as a reward it was a delicate and difficult commission belinda found mariette at first incapable of listening to reason i am sure there is nobody in the world that would treat me in my macornous manner except my lady cried she and somebody must have set her against me for it is not natural to her but since she can't bear me about her any longer tis time i should be gone the only thing of which lady delacour complained was the noise of this macaw said belinda it was a pretty bird how long have you had it scarcely a month said mariette sobbing and how long have you lived with your lady six years and to part with her after all and for the sake of a macaw and at a time when your lady is so much in want of you mariette you know she cannot live long and she has much to suffer before she dies and if you leave her and if in a fit of passion you betray the confidence she has placed in you you will reproach yourself for it ever afterward this bird or all the birds in the world will not be able to console you for you are of an affectionate disposition i know and sincerely attached to your poor lady that i am and to betray her oh miss portman i would sooner cut off my hand than do it and i have been tried more than my lady knows of or you either for mr chamfort who is the greatest mischief-maker in the world and is the cause by not shutting the door of all this dilemma for now ma'am i am convinced by the tenderness of your speaking that you are not the enemy to me i supposed and i beg your pardon but i was going to say that mr chamfort who saw the fracas between my lord and me about the key in the door the night of my lady's accident has whispered it about at lady singleton's and everywhere mrs lutridge's maid ma'am who is my cousin has pestered me with so many questions and offers from mrs lutridge and mrs freke of any money if i would only tell who was in the boudoir and i have always answered nobody and i defy them to get anything out of me betray my lady i'd sooner cut my tongue out this minute can she have such a base opinion of me or can you ma'am no indeed i am convinced that you are incapable of betraying her mariette but in all probability after you have left her if my lady would let me keep my macaw interrupted mariette i should never think of leaving her the macaw she will not suffer to remain in the house nor is it reasonable that she should it deprives her of sleep it kept her awake three hours this morning mariette was beginning the history of chamfort and the doors again but miss portman stopped her by saying all this is past now how much is due to you mrs mariette lady delacour has commissioned me to pay you everything that is due to you due to me lord bless me ma'am am i to go certainly it was your own desire it is consequently your lady's she is perfectly sensible of your attachment to her and your services but she cannot suffer herself to be treated with disrespect here are fifty guineas which she gives you as a reward for your past fidelity not as a bribe to secure your future secrecy you are at liberty she desires me to say to tell her secret to the whole world if you choose to do so oh miss portman take my macaw do what you will with it only make my peace with my lady cried mariette clasping her hands in an agony of grief here are the fifty guineas ma'am 
don't leave them with me i will never be disrespectful again take my macaw and all no i will carry it myself to my lady lady delacour was surprised by the sudden entrance of mariette and her macaw the chain which held the bird mariette put into her ladyship's hand without being able to say anything more than do what you please my lady with it and with me pacified by this submission lady delacour granted mariette's pardon and she most sincerely rejoiced at this reconciliation the next day belinda asked the dowager lady boucher who was going to a bird fancier's to take her with her in hopes that she might be able to meet with some bird more musical than a macaw to console mariette for the loss of her screaming favourite lady delacour commissioned miss portman to go to any price she pleased if i were able i would accompany you myself my dear for poor mariette's sake though i would almost as soon go to the augean stable there was a bird fancier in high holborn who had bought several of the hundred and eighty beautiful birds which as the newspapers of the day advertised had been collected after great labour and expense by mons martin and co for the republican museum at paris and lately landed out of the french brig ursel taken on her voyage from cayenne to brest by his majesty's ship unicorn when lady boucher and belinda arrived at this bird fancier's they were long in doubt to which of the feathered beauties they should give the preference whilst the dowager was descanting upon their various perfections a lady and three children came in she immediately attracted belinda's attention by her likeness to clarence hervey's description of lady anne percival it was lady anne as lady boucher who was slightly acquainted with her informed belinda in a whisper the children were soon eagerly engaged looking at the birds miss portman said lady boucher as lady delacour is so far from well and wishes to have a bird that will not make any noise in the house suppose you were to buy for mrs marriott this beautiful pair of green paroquets or stay a goldfinch is not very noisy and here is one that can play a thousand pretty tricks pray sir make it draw up water in its little bucket for us oh mamma said one of the little boys this is the very thing that is mentioned in buick's history of birds pray look at this goldfinch helena now it is drawing up its little bucket but where is helena here's room for you helena whilst the little boys were looking at the goldfinch belinda felt somebody touch her gently it was helena delacour can i speak a few words to you said helena belinda walked to the farthest end of the shop with her is my mamma better said she in a timid tone i have some goldfish which you know cannot make the least noise may i send them to her i heard that lady call you miss portman i believe you are the lady who wrote such a kind postscript to me in mamma's last letter that is the reason i speak so freely to you now perhaps you would write to tell me if mamma will see me and lady anne percival would take me at any time i am sure but she goes to oakley park in a few days i wish i might be with mamma while she is ill i would not make the least noise but don't ask her if you think it will be troublesome only let me send the goldfish belinda was touched by the manner in which this affectionate little girl spoke to her she assured her that she would say all she wished to her mother and she begged helena to send the goldfish whenever she pleased then said helena i will send them as soon as i go home as soon as i go back to lady anne percival's i mean belinda when she had finished speaking to helena heard the man who was showing the birds lament that he had not a blue macaw which lady anne percival was commissioned to procure for mrs margaret delacour red macaws my lady i have in abundance but unfortunately a blue macaw i really have not at present nor have i been able to get one though i have inquired amongst all the bird fanciers in town 
and I went to the auction at Hayden Square on purpose, but could not get one. Belinda requested Lady Boucher would tell her servants to bring in the cage that contained Mariette's blue macaw, and as soon as it was brought she gave it to Helena, and begged that she would carry it to her Aunt Delacour. "'Lord, my dear Miss Portman,' said Lady Boucher, drawing her aside, "'I am afraid you will get yourself into a scrape, for Lady Delacour is not upon speaking terms with Mrs. Margaret Delacour. She cannot endure her, you know. She is my Lord Delacour's aunt.' Belinda persisted in sending the macaw, for she was in hopes that these terrible family quarrels might be made up, if either party would condescend to show any disposition to oblige the other. Lady Anne Percival understood Miss Portman's civility as it was meant. "'This is a bird of good omen,' said she. "'It augurs family peace. I wish you would do me the favour, Lady Boucher, to introduce me to Miss Portman,' continued Lady Anne. "'The very thing I wished,' cried Helena. A few minutes' conversation passed afterward upon different subjects, and Lady Anne Percival and Belinda parted with a mutual desire to see more of each other. End of Section 13, Chapter 12 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona, April 2011